There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another episode of the Bobo and Flex show. My name is Bobo and I am your host and I'm with the beautiful Flex. If you haven't listened to this podcast before, if you're here for the very first time, I am Bobo. I'm your resident optimistic nihilist coming at you from very windy, very rainy and very gray and gloomy and dystopian looking New York City. I'm here to remind you of your mortality. Every day, reminding you of your mortality, reminding you to get your titty sucked and reminding you to get your ass ate because there's a new plague. The world is ending. So what else is there to do? Flex, what are you here to do? <laughs> Literally nothing. All right. Well, <laughs> my name is Flex. I'm Australian, but I'm very black. While very Bobo black. is in this gloomy um, industrial jail that is New York. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. in beautiful Sydney and there is a heat wave. So we're both going through it. I know, um, through the climate woes. Honestly, imagine imagine when the aliens find these archives, being like, what were these girls talking about when the world was literally ending? <laughs> They'll be like ass eating. It looks like, yo, what if the world literally ends? And our podcast is the last thing, the first thing that the aliens find. Mm. And this is what they use as like the premise for what human beings thought was important. (laughs) (laughs) Would we be a good representation of humanity? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be so so. happy for the aliens trying to piece it all together. I know, right? Honestly. Wow. I I can't wait to meet my alien um, family. Um, but let's get into it today. If you didn't know already, we have a Facebook group and it's very juicy and very spicy and we have amazing conversations in there. So what we're going to do is we found some juicy conversations happening that we want to discuss on this podcast here today. And this one here is actually about tanning. So let me open this up real quick. Yeah. And we have recorded an episode maybe a couple of weeks ago about the difference between black fishing and tanning, which yeah. is a good place to kind of start. So you feel like you're well informed about this conversation. Um, and it also might put into, into context why there was so much friction in this thread on the group. Yeah. So this is a really spicy thread. And basically, so someone posted a tweet uh, from a white girl that said, Rude that I wasn't born with a natural Bondi Sands ultra dark tan, to be honest. And the person who posted this, her caption was, Wow, I'm amazed at the amount of people sharing this on my timeline. The, your ignorance of your white privilege is at an all time high. Confused emoji. So we had 140 comments. Yeah, it was popping off. (laughs) It was popping off. We had some some healthy debate. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, Flex, what are your thoughts on this? Yes. So I wanted to preface this by saying initially when the group was much smaller, 
Uh, I used to spend so much time in the group, making sure I was engaging on every post, seeing what discussions were being had. Um, because I guess there was just a natural curiosity that was being matched with uh, the same amount of curiosity because the people who listened to the podcast finally had an outlet to share their thoughts as mm. opposed to just listening to us and being like, who else listens? As the group begins to grow and there is a different understanding of the way that discourse should be managed. Some people are of the opinion that, you know, you should go and seek out answers, come back with your understanding and then use that as a benchmark for discussion. Others believe that you should just come with any, any amount of, come with any thoughts, unfinished or finished, and then just have debate that way. But there really is a dissonance between, um, you know, who should be answering these questions and how much tact um, and quote unquote emotional labor, whether or not Mm. that can be used in this context should be used. But anyway. So I think it can. Yeah, I jump in the group maybe about once a week just to see what's popping off. So I've had some feedback in my DMs that people think that I'm um, subtweeting group members. No, <laughs> I'm not really? in the group. If I find <laughs> memes and repost them, I found them on Twitter. I go on the group once a week before we record the podcast. Before we record the podcast, sorry, to see what's popping off. It's too hectic in there for me. I got to bounce. But anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, this um, I thought that this post was in um in response to our podcast episode it wasn't it was just a response to this meme going viral and the general consensus was that you know people are you know not aware of their white privilege why can people say that this is offensive so on and so forth yeah then somebody said um can i ask out of interest what is the issue with fake tanning which if it was just that question you could say okay bitch like we've spoken about this google it like it's been an issue for ages but they went on to say i fully understand the issue with things like blackface or pretending or if people taking it way too far and pretending to be another nationality but i'm just asking where the line is i personally use a little bit of fake tan here and there because my family has a history of skin cancer and I'm terrified of the sun and it gives me a confidence boost to have a light glow. Is there the same? Is this the same issue with people becoming tan from the sun or is it just about fake tan products? I'm really interested to understand other people's perspectives on this. Then the responses were pretty much do your Googles. Do your like, Googles. We yeah, we really, really can't be rehashing why it's offensive. You could simply go and Google it. Um, and better yet, come back with what you, your understanding of why it's offensive and then have individuals come in, you know, support or refute the claim. Mm. Now, what I thought was really interesting in this discussion is it's what, if you don't know why is this, this is offensive, it's generally because, you know, for centuries now, black we and We were being called black- monkey ass <laughs> niggas, okay? <laughs> I'm honestly about to go in on... Listen, <laughs> go in. Just, so yeah. I'm trying to do this as simple as possible. So people who just really don't, because, okay, the conversation Bobo and I were having before we recorded was that it's just not computing for a lot of people because there is no comparison for them. Mm. So uh, like, and what I'm finding also is that when people are coming, when people are asking, when generally white people, sorry, are saying, I don't understand why it's offensive. Um, and then people of color are coming back trying to rationalize them with them emotionally. It's just not connecting for some reason. So basically people are saying for centuries, black blackness being ethnic has been um, synonymous with being dirty, with being um, ugly, with being poor, with being unhygienic, all of the above. Now we've gotten to this new millennium where being black and having black features, um, skin tone, hair texture, body shape, 
uh, culture is now in a lot of places the standard of beauty and Mm. people who are white who are able to kind of mimic blackness are being praised for it and being affirmed while the same black people are still being um dragged Mm -hmm. so it's frustrating to a lot of black people to see white people making their skin shade you know seven eight shades darker for fashion um, and then receiving positive affirmation for that, where those same naturally dark people are being said, oh, you know, you seem to me like you are dirty, dirty. whatever it might be. So yeah. it seems pretty simple, but the nuance in this, is, this discussion happens when someone says, but I'm not looking to be black. I just want to be a little bit darker, you know? <laughs> and we're like, and I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just a heavy sigh. Yeah. No, I just... It's what you were sort of you were sort of saying before we hit record, when I was asking you what what do white people not understand about race? Like where is it not clicking? Because I I don't on some level I understand, but they're just things that I don't get why it doesn't click. But it's what you were saying about how white people perceive racism to be an active action. Yes, whereas in reality. When, it's far more passive. Yes. And you can't, you cannot, the only way to experience race is to not be white. When you are white, you are literally incapable of experiencing race. Your range is to understand it conceptually just by virtue of distance because whiteness is a blank canvas. Like whiteness just is invisible. Mm. And I think the frustrating, the most frustrating thing about having conversations about race with white people is that they continuously, when you're white, you don't know the limits of your whiteness. Like being white is like having a set of blinders on. You just literally cannot experience race so you also cannot experience how your whiteness affects other people around you and like that's really the frustration of it because then that means that white people think that racism is an active thing like if I'm not stomping you in the face if I'm not shooting you in the face if I'm not denying you of a job or calling you a monkey ass nigger bitch then I'm not racist (laughs) but really it's a lot more systemic and well, it depends on your geography. Like in South Africa, yeah. racism is very, bruh, even the dogs in South Africa are racist. So <laughs> I swear my neighbor's dogs called me a coon every day, like every day. You know what I mean? Whereas in America, you know, the racism here is, and it's probably like this. I don't know how it is in Australia. I'm, I'm assuming I'm interested actually in how the race works, how race works in Australia, because I know a lot of frustrated white racist South Africans moved to Australia to escape black freedom. (laughs) They were like, oh, the blacks have freedom. Oh, no. And then they moved to Australia because (laughs) yeah, because it's it's like culturally similar and there's enough white people and the climate is very similar, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so I'm curious as to how like race works in Australia mm. uh, because I know in South Africa it's very overt and in America it's very covert and in yeah. Europe it's kind of a combination of the two. So why do white Australians not understand why being my skin tone with your with your fake tan is not okay? Like where can you not clock? 
Mm. Where is the misunderstanding? And for those listening and wonder why we're specifically talking about white Australians, because the majority of our listenership is in Australia. So... You and know. also Bondi Sands, I think, is only it's an Australian. Australian. Yeah, brand. yeah. Um, also, as Bobo said, I also said off air that our relationship to racism and prejudice has always been in the extremes. And when I say our, I mean society. So when you mm. say somebody is racist, generally you're f- referring to the guy who's lynching someone, the guy who's bashing someone, beating someone, abusing someone. Like you said, denying them of jobs. Um, or someone who is overtly uh, uses stereotypes to, to judge and, and group people. And only recently have we started to understand that racism can be a bit more passive and it can mm. exist in ways that we haven't clocked before. So with microaggressions and assumptions and presumptions about how somebody should behave um, based on what they look like. And I also think the issue with, you know, the discussions we're having on a thread like this is that when we talk about racism in a very day-to-day way, it starts to illuminate the fact that we all have blind spots onto what's appropriate and inappropriate to say and behave when Mm. it comes to the conversations around race. So yeah, I can imagine this person being like, I don't get it because, and it's, no, it's the same reason why calling some people are more offended to be called racist than to acknowledge that they are racist yeah because literally it's the yeah. presumption that oh no i'm not the worst of the worst i just do yeah. minor things and now we're saying in this big 2020 it's not about being the worst of the worst it's the little things that catch up because in exactly. my day-to-day i have not been abused physically for being black but i've definitely have some had someone say to me overtly oh you don't sound black i thought you were white based on your voice you know you sound professional yeah. mm-hmm. you know what is the implication yeah. there or I've always been really scared to hang around with black people, but you make me feel very comfortable. Yeah. Like what is like what is the implication? It's shit there? like that. Mm. Yeah. So I think that the thing about Australia, like white Australia, it's quite a new country, you know. And like ah. when we had a lot of like people migrating and settling, who are immigrants, like we're all immigrants if we're not indigenous. <laughs> so people who migrated first kind of had felt that they had ownership over what's happening here. So people who are white Australians identify with just being white and just being Australian haven't really clocked that there is, um, I'm not going to say all, but a vast majority haven't clocked that there is kind of an imbalance between the way they perceive their immigrant status and the way we perceive ours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like yeah. we can acknowledge that like, although we're born here and we identify and we're citizens that like when this is not our land and we're not, yeah. we're not from here like that. Whereas others have, you know, a, a, a very- That's um, interesting. Yeah, a very big ownership. And then also I feel like the kind of racism that happens it's almost like um, it's like comedic casual racism where people are assuming if you're of um, Asian descent, then you must be smart or really capable or you must have a strict family. And if you're of black descent or African descent, then, you know, you must um, you must have struggled growing up and you've overcome all your you're mm. in a gang and, and you must be American also, not African. So it's like these presumptions about where you're from as opposed to yes there is overt like abusive racism but the day-to-day stuff is just misunderstanding and ignorance that's been allowed to kind of exist as the norm so somebody asking me so like i say at least once a day if i'm leaving the house (laughs) so like i'll have every time i leave the house i'll have one interaction a minimum about somebody saying but where are you from sydney but where are you from australia but where are you from ghana oh that makes a lot of sense but why do you sound Australian? Oh, I was born here. Well, then why did you say you were from Ghana? 
Because that's what, what you fuck? were implying. Bitch. You know? It's this a lot is of why that. I throw hands. Yeah. 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 Or if somebody, or I find like when I'm doing a lot of interviews in press, there's always like, tell me about how you were raised. You know, was mm. it hard being from, you know, another country and migrating here? And I'm like, well, I'm not from another country. I didn't, I didn't migrate here. <laughs> like I've been here. I've only yeah. been here. So it's a lot yeah. of these presumptions that um, kind of alienate you from, you know, from the rest of society. And I feel like white Australians don't get it because we're not really taught any, the history we're taught is quite whitewashed. And so your, um, your relationship to racism is going to come from personal cultural experience or from adopting like other continents form of racism. I feel like Australians would say a lot about what it is to be racist in the context of Americans. You know what I mean? And conservatives. That's the thing. That's the, yeah. But they can't localize it. It's too close. I think white people do that a lot. Yeah. I think across the white diaspora, <laughs> if that's a thing. <laughs> I like that. Across, yeah, I like that. Across the white diaspora, white people who are not American use American racism as a measure of, or as a standard of racism. Yeah. It's very much like, I'm white, but at least I'm not white American, so exactly. I can't be that bad. Exactly. And it's like, no, 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 bitch. Mm-mm. No, you're all trash. All of you. And it's really interesting let me be controversial. Also, Uh-oh. when I say you're all trash, I'm talking about whiteness, not white people. Relax. Just relax. Something I want to talk about that's controversial, and I'm going to close my DMs when we release this episode because I, <laughs> <laughs> I know they're coming. I want to talk about white people's relationship to ownership because when you were talking about the difference between your relationship to Australian land versus white Australians' relationship to the land, it sounds very similar, or it doesn't sound very similar, but it makes me think about how white South, white South Africans and their relationship to South African land. Because I'm black, I'm a black South African, so really, like, that's my land. But white South Africans feel more entitled to South Africa than we do. And I'm really interested in why white pe- what is white people's ownership with land and how does that tie into colonialism and how does that affect culture and racism on a macro and micro level? Like, what is it about us as Africans that can respect? Like, you, you're Australian, but you're also like black and from Ghana. So you can respect the fact that, yes, you're, you're Australian, but at the same time, this isn't my land. Like I'm not indigenous. Mm. Why don't white South Africans have that same energy? What is it about whiteness? We actually had an incident in South Africa where this person was like, why are there all these blacks on the beach? These monkey ass basically just being like you niggas need to go back to where you came from this is not your beach this is ours and it's like excuse me you found us here like this is our land you are european if anything you must go back to where you came from (laughs) but it's really interesting how white people feel entitled to not only land but to culture and to identities that aren't theirs in a way that no other culture has so what is it about that? Like, I really want to know. Hmm. I'm not talking about white people. No, I'm talking about whiteness. Okay, talking about whiteness. So relax. Well, I think a lot of, 
a lot of the way that like black people and like people of color navigate the world is with presumed understanding that because mm. we are perceived to be oppressed in a lot of ways that oppression is like linear and we all have like an equal through line so like mm. we it's presumed that we should understand what it is for an indigenous australian to feel displaced because we too have been displaced though those stories don't really align like in details in theory like we should be able to sympathize in that way and because of what right. i'm imagining a lot of people who identify with just being white and don't have um uh, like aren't concerned with trying to figure out where they came from or like what their culture says or does it's not a concern to them to figure out what their through line is with other minorities you know what i mean mm, okay so I don't know. okay i see i want another thing i want to discuss and like obviously people listening might be thinking like why aren't you talking about whether or not tanning is so to google it like it's been talked about a thousand times yeah I'm we've not been we've been there fam. like <laughs> let me not i think also i have to set boundaries like bobo's that bitch to have the discussion in the dm i've stopped with that i refer everyone to the bobo's no, I'm about to stop because too. i can't <laughs> i can't be bothered but um somebody in the group made a, a good point which i think kind of summarizes the um like lack of understanding between both parties those that offend and those who deem things to be offensive and basically this person said the problem is that the person who tweeted that initially doesn't understand how offensive her comment is so how do we make Mm. her understand and then somebody responded and said she's grown enough she has to be more self-aware that's her choice you can't make anyone do anything and then the other person who initially responded said you know she's probably she's a teenager she probably doesn't get it you know growing up in white circles um and even now as an adult the issue of race is rarely spoken about probably in and not in a proactive or nuanced way just in a reactive and defensive way i would guess it's not what she said that's what i'm presuming and then yeah. the conversation turned you know teenagers should be up to date like you know you can't really escape these conversations without choosing to be ignorant like it it clouds everything that you do it pops up whether or not you want to and if you're not across it then you don't want to be and basically by the end see that yeah by the end of this thread there was a lot of misinterpretation on both sides so i don't really think it was um it was resolved but one of the main questions was if somebody doesn't get it um and they're ignorant where do they go yeah like how do you so like ignorance is also like invisible and you kind of don't know Mm. it until it's really been shown to you in a way that you can't not see like a mirror up to you yeah so if you can't challenge somebody's ignorance and somebody um doesn't believe what you're saying to be correct and doesn't believe what they've done is offensive and people who see this person no longer want to educate them then where do we go from here it's like a uh um a checkmate on both sides yeah i think about that all the time because to be honest i don't entirely agree with the notion that how do i frame this there's this idea that it's not people of color's jobs to educate anyone but at the same time then whose job is it because if you're not a person of color how else would you and another thing is that a lot of people will say go go to Google, do your Googles, doing doing this this and this and that. But the thing is, you can read all the bell hooks. So if if I told a white person, look, this thing that you said is offensive, or I don't like what you said, and then instead of just engaging me, they went to go read a bell hooks book or they went to Google, whatever, whatever. I just feel like my blackness exists at so many intersections. Mm-hmm. 
that you would not find on the internet because a lot of black discourse is American. A lot of racial discourse about blackness is either black American or black British, Mm -hmm. both of which I really can't relate Mm -hmm. to. I don't mind and I actually quite enjoy engaging with white people about race when they're not committed to their own ignorance. Like when a white person is ready to learn and like they come at me with an open mind and they're ready for discourse, like I'm down. Mm. But otherwise, to just go read some bell hooks and assume that like that black American racial narrative applies to me is also problematic because a lot of our racial theory is Americanized. Like we don't have black South Africans out there writing about the black South African experience or the Ghanaian ex- the Ghanaian black experience or the black Australia. You know what I mean? There's so many different intersections and then they also intersect with culture, with gender, with sexuality, with like how you've occupied space and time. And just the fact that I'm South African, but I don't feel South African because I haven't really lived there much, like that affects my blackness. So how can you go and read Angela Davis and think that applies to me too? Like, Mm. no, I'd rather you just ask me and then we can keep it pushing. Yeah. Like, how do you feel about that? Well, I'm in two minds about it. And um, so basically the way I think about it is expecting everybody to understand on like a theoretical level versus a practical level it's just a big ask and so I wonder Mm. like are we asking of too much and this is of any minority group I'm not just saying when we're talking about like racial minorities but is are we asking for too much for wanting for people to understand on an emotional and practical level like ooh, what do you mean okay so let's say I'm telling you that like I live this really specific you know, African-Australian experience. I live this um, very specific plus size experience. I live this very specific freelancer experience, right? And I tell people about that and they can say, oh, I understand in theory how it'd be hard to, you know, be, you know, perceived as being African, but growing up in Australia, not having ties to that. But like, I don't really get like why that's a big deal. Is that enough for me? Or do I want everyone to be like, you know what? I get it. I sympathize. These are the ways in which I sympathize. These are the reference points that I've also used to like, you know, cushion your story because who fundamentally cares that much? And that's also the disconnect I find with with these greater discussions about race, especially in the Bobo and Flex Facebook group, because a lot of people, a lot of minority groups are asking for people who cannot relate to try and sympathize and empathize on a very emotional level. And it's like, I don't think we're going to get there. The most I feel like we can ask for someone to be like, oh, I can understand why that's offensive. I think, yes, I think the most we can ask for is respect, but not understanding. I, the most we can ask for is sympathy, but not empathy. Mm. If I tell you that every time I walk out the street, the NYPD harasses me, I don't expect a white person to empathize with that. But I expect you, if you're not a sociopath, to have some sympathy and I expect you also to believe me when I tell you about my lived experience that you will never live in this realm or in this dimension so that's my range of expectation is just don't gaslight me 
don't talk over me and just like respect but you don't have to understand but that's what me. i'm getting at with like with the don't gaslight me and understand it is very difficult to understand an experience that isn't yours in a way because mm. like that's and i feel like this is what i'm saying about the disconnect like asking for respect from somebody who like in okay, okay how do i phrase this Respect in itself yeah. is subjective. And so what we would perceive to be respectful, which is listening, um, taking into consideration the layers, asking questions um, in a non-offensive way, that's a lot to be doing for a stranger who just wants to know. Is it? Hold on, mm-hmm. hold on. Mm-hmm. Who just wants okay. to know, can I do this, yes or no? Because the answers to a lot of these queries is yes or no, good or bad. And that's the issue. Because if someone's like, I just want to know quick off top, can I tan or not? Then we come back and go, well, it's not just about tanning. It's about systemic so-and-so. It's about this. And then so-and-so. And And then blah, blah, blah. And and they're like, okay, well, what is it then? So do I continue wearing the tan or not? If somebody's saying to me, you know, um, I just don't want to be misgendered. I just want someone to approach me and ask me, you know, what my gender pronouns is. And then they do that. But it's like, oh, you didn't ask me in the right way. (laughs) That was really insensitive you know, don't assume that I'm one thing that I'm not. It's like, okay, then what's that conversation? If we're asking somebody, yeah. you know, what is it like to be an immigrant? Because I'm presuming that you're not from, you know, this land that you currently occupy because you don't reflect the the visual look that the others do. Then you're like, okay, well, you're othering me. But is that not what we're asking for? So what I'm trying to understand yeah. is with all this nuanced debate about the white way. Where's the where line? Where is the line? Because, you know, there's a lot we don't understand about people who are around us. And I think we're asking for a lot mm. in terms of like every, like you said, to for someone to assume that Angela Davis' experience is your experience is insensitive, no? But then we're also saying, do your Googles and make assumptions and come back to me as an individual. Then do your Googles and make assumptions and go to Flex as an individual. It's a lot of work for someone who's like, I didn't even really care that much. I just want to know if I can use Bondi stands or not. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not trying to read a book and then cross-reference. So what I'm saying is yeah. you have to be mindful of like best case scenario and like bare minimum because like we're not the only people who require like... um like nuance when it comes yeah, to our lived no experience. Facts. So when you're asking these people who just put, who don't really care to figure out how their actions are um, insensitive to a vast members, uh, like a vast majority of certain ethnicities, certain like sexual groups, certain, like whatever. It's like, okay, how do we break it down and say, this is how you can behave in a way that's the least insensitive? I think what it is is, so I can't tell anyone what to do and what not to do. So if I tell you, hi, please don't call me a nigger bitch, that's offensive. And then you ask me why. And then I tell you why. Like, I tell you the history. You now have the choice to decide whether or not you call someone a nigger bitch. So at this point, you also have to understand that actions have consequences. So if you decide to say, okay, I respect your decision. I'm not going to call any black person that. That's fine. You can also say, no, I still want to call people nigger bitches because that's what I enjoy doing. That's fine too, but when someone breaks your ankles, when someone now throws hands because you called them a nigger bitch, you must now accept that consequence as an action because bitch, you were told that what you're doing is disrespectful. So whether or not you choose to do it is not my business, but it's just to to walk through life knowing that your actions have consequences. So it's fine. Go wear your your jail braids. <laughs> Go do your fake tanning. But if you get if you get knocked up in the middle of the street, like if someone gives you a backhand, 
in the middle of the street. You must now accept those consequences because actions have consequences. And that's, I think that's just what it boils down to at that point. Yeah. But we can I also only think do so much. Like, we all just have to meet each other. But I think halfway. that's also like the exact reason why there's no, like, there's no motivation to understand because for a lot of people, there are no consequences. Like, go call mm. someone the N word all you want, go use it in your rap songs. And really, most people aren't going to do shit. I know a ton of black people yeah. who will let someone call them whatever to their face. And would sooner be perceived as likable and approachable and personable than yeah. say something. So also, it's like, and that's what you're saying for people to do is what they're currently doing. They're minding their business. They're using their fake tan, wearing their kippows, you know, putting on their bindis, <laughs> you, you know, doing their cornrows and saying, and what? They really Check are. For me. And nobody will. And those who do, they really now are. the brand is on them to be like, okay, let me to figure out where it went wrong. Because don't tell me some other person of color told you it was all okay. Because... Now we've got someone packing you. <laughs> and that's the thing. So I think we're in this weird like stalemate where, you know, those who have spent their lifetime educating don't want to do it anymore because once you educate one, you educate them all. And as we develop our individual nuance, how we respond to these individual scenarios also changes. And then you have people who are like, actually, I did the thing. And I still got called out. You know how, like, the, the you know, um, yeah. I used to, this article on BuzzFeed where some chick was like, oh, you know, um, I got called out for wearing a sari on Instagram because I'm white, but then, like, I married, um, and I went to an Indian wedding and they said I could wear it. And, like, I thought that was, like, the appropriate way to do it. And now all these white people are getting mad at me because I'm making them look bad. And I'm like, exactly. What are you meant to do? Because all the, all the Twitter forums will tell you, you know, make sure you ask for permission for someone of that culture to like wear that cultural garment. And then if they say it's okay, then you can like wear it with confidence. And then the internet's like, no, you racist bitch, take it off. <laughs> so what, like, where is the fine line? I don't know, know where the line is, but I'm just saying to take it back to out the discourse in a lot of our Facebook threads, it's exactly this. It's a lot of, Mm. I don't like, I, you know, like generally white person don't understand why this is offensive. And then it's other generally like ethnic people saying you should know, or we've told you in one way, or why don't you sympathize? And why don't you understand? And then when the, when it flips and then a white person's like, Oh, you don't understand where I'm coming from. (laughs) And then the ethnics are like, with all your privilege, <laughs> get a backbone. <laughs> We've been through it. You see, well, this is why, listen, this is why now people of color, now I'm talking to you. This is why we need to start throwing hands. We need to start throwing hands because I feel like in order for us to progress racially as a society, as people of color, we we need to be unified. Actually, let me say black people, because if we're keeping it real, a lot of racism comes from other people of color that are non-black. Black people, we need to be unified and we need to be on the same page. And we need to know that when white people act up, it's time to throw hands. Because otherwise, people go unchecked and they continue, you continue with your ultra dark tan and your jail braids and your bindis and your saris, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess this is a, this is both a problem of white people needing to have some empathy, but then there's the question of how does having empathy benefit me as a white person? And then there's also the thing of black people needing to decide 
how we're going to move as a unit. And that's really what it boils down to. Like, without black solidarity, there is no eradication of racism. There is no racial progression. And until Southeast Asians and Asians in general stop being racist towards black people (laughs) and vice versa, then, like, what are we really doing here? You know, I th- ultimately what I'm saying is I think it's also a lot to expect white people to see us as humans when an Indian that is essentially my skin tone can't even see me as human. Like just that basic, basic thing. You know what I mean? And obviously I'm not talking about every Indian, but we all know that there is Indian black racism going on in the community. And if we can't even sort that small, small thing out, what is the expectation of white people? Can we really expect that? And it's see. just a lot. Well, so wow. the moral of that discussion is definitely go to the ba- the Bobo and Flex Facebook group and definitely see how, um, I guess not how difficult it is for those who are willing to learn to learn. Because often when I talk, when I think about people who are ignorant, willfully ignorant, it almost seems as though they're given more leeway than those who are ignorant and want to change. It's like people who are ignorant. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And racist, like, oh, that's all we expect from them. Like, oh, another racist person killed another person. Classic. You know, another person from from middle America, you know, put a conservative fucking flag on their car. Um... Well, not saying conservative. What's that word I'm looking for? You know, I know which one you're talking about. That that Confederate, yeah, another Confederate flag in the car. Oh, it's all we can expect. Classic of them. But then you have somebody who you know can is trying to uh, acknowledge they have blind spots coming into a space, hoping that they can be educated and then being shut down. I'm not saying it's good or bad either, because the first thing I do is say Google it and then direct you people onto Bobo and Flex Facebook group, because I know I don't have time for it, but um. I just think it's really yeah. interesting to see how we um, how we treat those people who want to do better, and the expectation. Yeah, that is expect- interesting. I think what what happens is when somebody says to you, "Here are the ways in which I've been problematic in the past, and I want to understand how to be better." We zero in on, "Oh, you were problematic." Oh, so you you were the person yeah. that was wearing those braids. Oh, right. So you you did used to sing the N-word in songs. Oh, okay, cool, 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 nice. I think something else that I think about, whenever I see posts on social media, like on Twitter, like, for example, I just saw in a group, people were dissecting Lizzo's um, Rolling Stones cover or like her Rolling Stones spread and talking about, is she appropriating Asian culture, this and this and that. I think about... Is us nitpicking about race, what is that distracting Mm. us from? Like, what could we be doing? I don't know. I always just think, like, there's literally a new plague right now. As of this week, there's a new plague. There's an island 
we have our first official island that is going underwater. Like the world really is ending and we're bickering about whether or not Lizzo is appropriating Asian culture in the Rolling Stones magazine. Like at this point, should we just give up the race thing? Just accept that we will never get along and just focus on the apocalypse. Like, should we just... Is there a point in dismantling racism mm-hmm. at this point? What I hope you sleep at night. I know for me, <laughs> I don't like being responsible for being an instructor or an educator. And I don't like being the judge mm. and jury for people who want validation for the, for the way they're living their lives. Because I think on a fundamental level... I don't care as much as I would like to because I'm not going to be a warrior. I'm not mm. going to call out every individual person. And it, it comes to a point where I'm like, what is the benefit of doing this? Because with every critique, yeah. if, you, if you're going to critique a certain situation with nuance, then the nuance will take you to moral binaries and then to moral gray areas and to moral binaries and then you get tired and then you stop. There is no one yeah. virtuous way to navigate any situation. That's just a fact none no and i do think but i do question people who if you're a person who believes themselves to have ignorant blind spots and want somebody to help them you know figure it out let's say you were the person who wants to know why tanning is offensive you know why wearing certain hairstyles is offensive why referring to why saying that you perceive all asians to be smart as offensive just interrogate if you actually care or if you want to be validated for seeming like you care because, like, you save oh, yourself yes. a lot of heartache so by true. just having, like, an autonomous little Google sussing it out, then going into a space, drawing attention to your blind spots, and then getting frustrated when you're not um, coddled like you were <laughs> intending to be. Like, the world isn't a sweet, yeah. nice place. You know, I could, like, Bo and I have argued about it before. I don't think humans are very nice. I don't think we have our best interests at heart when it comes to each other. And I often think we live for drama, mm. not best case scenario. We like a bit of friction. You know <laughs> what I mean? We like a bit of friction. We like a bit of animosity because it keeps us feeling alive. So if you are a person who's really committed to like growth, start by doing it on your own for a second and then doing your own case studies. Because like as much as the group could tell you, you know what, like wear that sorry if you've had permission from insert person from that culture the same group will tell you well that individual person isn't the mouthpiece of that culture so it's a lose-lose and a win-win however way you want to manage it but this brings me on to our next topic which Mm. i think yeah i think it's a good time to discuss it we're a few minutes in so if you've been on the internet or you have access to the internet, you would know that Australia has been on fire for, I think, about four months now. Yeah. Um, there have been raging bushfires, uh, killing millions and millions and millions of animals, if not billions, billions. at this moment. It's billions. Tons of people are dead. T- like, tons of houses are rubble as it speaks. And the government is doing very little proactively and immediately to solve the issue. Um, in that time, there was, you know, in the first three months of the bushfires, of course, there was a lot of media coverage about it, but I think we were all viewing it in quite, um, uh, I don't want to, yeah, I I think it was entertainment for a lot of people. It was like, Mm. oh shit, like Australia's on fire. This is crazy. And then metropolitan areas started feeling the effects of it. And then you notice, oh, you can't get the produce you wanted to because it's, you know, it's all burnt or, you know, we were going outside and, um, 
our air quality was worse than Delhi, you know? Wow. <laughs> so suddenly yeah. it was a conversation that was topical because it was affecting people who were seen to be more privileged. Mm. And then what we noticed was happening was there was this call for individual um, individuals, generally Australians, to start to donate from their pocket to help those who had been displaced or affected by the fires because the government wasn't doing anything um, proactively and quickly, as I said before. So there was this rhetoric that, okay, if the government isn't going to help, then we as, you know, as a community need to start stepping forward and, and seeing this through and helping people. Because of that, that brought on like two different, maybe three different conversations. The first was that this is a, there was a conspiracy that the government was, or there was like arson to burn down trees that were going to be, um, that were going to, what was it? Hold on. Let me Google this properly. Cause I don't want to get the conspiracy wrong. Mm. Bushfire conspiracy Australia. Uh, okay. So this is from the morning bulletin and basically Uh, It says that thousands of Australians appear to believe that lasers and exploding smart meters are being used to start our bushfires to make way for a new train network. So essentially, um, many claims have said that these fires were deliberately started um, so we could make a high speed rail network to Brisbane and Melbourne. And apparently like it had been pitched to, to, I don't know, the government and people weren't really on board. So, cause they didn't want to clear out a bunch of trees because we like the trees and don't want to let's like ruin the environment for a fucking yeah. train. But if the trees burnt down, then we'd have space to do it. So people was like, it's arson, it's the government, you know, whatever. Then the second batch of people were like, okay, if the government's not helping, we need to start viewing each other as individuals as part of a greater community and think to ourselves, what would we like if we were the people who were affected negatively by this? We'd want people to help. So let's start pulling from our pockets and just doing and leading by example. And there was a third group of thought that was saying, it's not up to the individual to fix this problem. It's a government problem. And we need to be stressing the government to now make changes. Then the response to that was like, there's not enough time for that because people are, they're dying. Their houses are burning. Our water is being polluted. Animals are going extinct. We don't have time to, you know, like to harass the government. They're busy. (laughs) Like, or they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, they just don't care. They're taking holidays in Hawaii. So they don't care. And yeah, people, and of course there are a lot of people who are climate change deniers. So people are saying this is natural this and is it was going to happen anyway. Wow. So, okay. so following that after there was this push for people with profiles on the internet and people with following celebrities, politicians, influencers to not only start to donate, but to use their um, platforms to encourage and propel the conversation forward Mm. and also incentivize their audiences to donate. And so that happened and that was really, really good. But again, people like stop telling, you know, working class people to to pull out of their own pockets for this. It's not realistic. Um, And then also following that businesses and brands started saying, okay, we're going to start donating our profits. We're going to start donating all of our sales. We're going to start donating donating the profits of sales of particular items. And then also that conversation was a little bit convoluted because we got to this exacerbated place of climate change because we are just consuming too much. There's too much fast fashion. There's too much shit being made. And so it was a bit ironic that in this crisis, the response was let's make more shit so you can buy more shit. (laughs) Yeah. And then it got to the really unconventional ways of, you know, raising funds and money. And there was this uh, girl on Twitter. Let's talk about it. girl. Yes. 
who had said that she had felt really affected by this because she um, was a victim of the California fires and felt as though she was implored to do something about it. And so wanted to see how she could use her own platform. And there's a lot of that, like, you know, when in crisis, do what you can, don't replicate what's been done before. And Mm. so she, this girl um, is... A sex, a sex worker, worker. Yeah. and she uh you know has her only fans account in which she sells nudes for um for profit right it's a legitimate business that's how she does it so basically oh and to clarify one billion animals killed yeah one billion that's billion. so many millions billions anyway so this 20 year old model she went viral on Twitter for incentivizing her followers to donate um, to approved Australian charities by sending fans explicit photos for $10. They, for every $10 they give, provided they send her a confirmation of their donation, which is just iconic in so many ways yeah. because we know Loved sex it. sells. We know people want to be incentivized for doing good. And that's why when businesses were offering discounts and um, donating profits, that really helped a lot. Anyway, so after she did her few weeks or days of, um, you know, rallying up donations she was said to have raised about one million dollars more um, than and that she contribu- actually yeah more than one million and she contributed well there's they were saying because eventually she got other sex workers to help her um and so she wasn't the only one donating nudes oh, it was like a okay. group of people by the end of it so it's hard to say what she raised versus what everybody else raised but more than one million in total um and basically she donated to a bunch of charities and um yeah, she went viral. Everybody loved it. You know, she was able to capitalize on, you know, people's horninesses for good. Everyone's saying this is charity porn. Amazing. Um, there were consequences for her. She said that her Instagram got deactivated. She was outed as a sex worker. Her family disowned her. The guy that she was seeing no longer wanted to see her. Um, but she felt implored because she was finally doing a good thing. And she could see that the, uh, the outcome of this better than the consequence of what she was experiencing then obviously the critique started and naturally let's get into um, it the first critique was that she was using this for public gain now she hadn't always been referred to as the naked philanthropist this was in response to her selling her nudes and people were saying you know heroes don't always wear capes had been they'd been referring to her as philanthropist so she had kind of rebranded in that sense so when people were going yeah. to donate to her they presumed that this was legitimate or it's something that she had done before and seen progress and all of a sudden it was like a campaign with a positive initiative she gained um more than 250,000 followers on Twitter, which as we know, she's when you're using your social platform to monetize and commodify yourself, any followers that you gain is amazing. And gaining such a mm. high number would do numbers for her, not in terms of sponsorships, but how far she can now push her own individual content, how many sponsors yeah. she can get. Um, OnlyFans, um, a platform where people can pay to see, you know, safe, uh, not, for, not safe for work content, like nudes and shit. Um, they parted with her and made her an official influencer um so they would promote her account on all their platforms and then 20 percent of her earnings would go to the bushfires so they were like okay now people are benefiting from it aside from you there is like an ulterior motive here and to be fair this was not like the main conversation but it was an offshoot of you know what was happening then Mm -hmm. i had posted on my instagram story about her what did I write? Let me find the link I sent to Bobo. Okay, so... You were just, like, praising yeah, her. Cause yeah, because I was just like, I love to see it because I personally I found that 
when the conversation of the bushfire started, I was like, okay, I've fallen into that clicktivism where I've shared the post, but I've I've not done anything tangible to help the cause. And when somebody's house is burning down, like maybe a Twitter reshare or an Instagram post isn't the most effective way to help. So I donated and I was like, okay, this is me learning from past, um, not mistakes, but just learning from past incidents. I donated, I've minded my business. My DMs for about a week and a half are full of people saying, oh, you know, I think it's really insensitive that you haven't posted about the bushfires. I think it's really insensitive that you haven't donated. I think it's insensitive that, you know, instead of drawing more attention to these people in crisis you're choosing to just go on and live your life which sorry let's which kind of to me was interesting because i I did understand like okay when you have an audience you do have a duty of care in some ways to deliver positive information and because i'm using my instagram stories to deliver information all day it's nothing for me to reshare something that's helpful a link to donate a link with updates it's nothing but because i had assumed yeah um like as an individual separate to my audience and I've done my bit, I no longer felt responsible to ensure that people had done their bit. I can see the flaw in that logic and I understand that. But what I didn't understand was the way that people were approaching me about that as though it was malicious intent to not raise more awareness in one way and to also minimize yeah. what I had done because it didn't fit the mold of what we're used to seeing. But also, yeah, like why must like? you virtue signal? Like why... So because you didn't post about it, because like, why is that a Mm. prerequisite? for? And it's one of those things where we can argue that because I can see where the critiques were coming from, because like, if you're going to post about shit all day, you may, you could post one or two things that could be helpful. Of course. Amazing. But it's kind of like, we Mm. all know that it's tact. Tact is how you manage all of these things. Nobody's going to relate to you because you want them to. They relate to how you respond to them and how you approach them. So the approach was terrible. But I was like, whatever. I don't have time to argue with people. Fine. So that whole bushfire thing happened. And then like the, I guess the the ferocity of, of the conversation died down. And then the naked philanthropist went on to say that she was doing a similar um, activation or initiative for um, Puerto Rico right the earthquakes in puerto rico she was going to donate ten dollars to every person somebody had then messaged me and said that they had heard some not so great things about her and they wanted to you know alert me to be mindful of who i was promoting and who i was um affirming on my platform which Mm. you know initially that i'm like okay that seems fair because who knows you know it could have been something completely terrible and that you want to be mindful of yeah so when i had asked what did this person do or say the response was she said the n-word online and i was like okay interesting i didn't know that she has okay uh, but hold on let's go through do the no go on yeah okay i just have a lot of questions the next thing is she is dressed up as an inuit um the third point was that she hadn't been sending the nudes but redirecting donations to pay directly to her only fans account which in this instance when she said that she had been sending nudes, I think this is where we talk about the the uh, emphasis on precise language. Because she said you'd mm. be receiving nudes, she'd be sending nudes. You get the nudes anyway. So the $10 donation was giving you access to her OnlyFans, which you could see all of her nudes oh. and shit. So I can see how that wording would have gotten people a little bit riled up, but she got the nude. <laughs> and that was what she was offering, you know? Um, and I think also what she what I she had set out to do initially may have been sending everyone individual news. But when you've now raised a million dollars, which means that hundreds of thousands of people have now donated, is that really feasible? But, you know, yeah. either, 
that's not the point we're making. And then the last point, or the second last point was she's been accused of using disasters for her own publicity. And you could argue that mostly anybody with a profile, brands, businesses, influencers, celebrities, musicians, whatever, have also been doing the same. Not directly, as in that's not their agenda, I'm going to post, but we do know how well people are perceived when they appear to be philanthropic and virtuous. And those who have donated money, especially brands and businesses, you're donating money from other people's pockets. So the publicity you get renders you more sales. And especially when brands were donating their profits. Not the, like, that means you're deducting the cost price from what they're charging you for. Yeah. So they're still making money and then they're they're donating the money that you spent. Whatever. And the last point that she made, or this, I don't, Mm. so I don't mean to gender this person. I don't know who, what it was. I delete, I just screenshot it. But all in all, another cis, white, thin, conventionally attractive person benefiting, benefiting from others suffering, which is especially sad. Um, when BIPOC sex workers are being deplatformed and struggling to stay alive. Now, I thought that was really, really interesting. And as soon as I got that, I sent that to Bobo and I was like, this is one to one we should mull over because as you know, I don't do the discourse in the DMs anymore because I'm not down to fight with strangers. I don't like being misunderstood. And I can often find I have more critical discussions with Bobo because we're coming from a same level of intellect as opposed to trying to like do the same, same chit chat with a thousand people. So yeah, I talked to Bo and I said, this is a really interesting discussion on whether the ends justify the means. Do people expect right. philanthropy to be virtuous and morally sound? And if so, why? Because what we're saying here is that if we expect every single person who does objective good to also be a quote unquote morally good person, then are we... Are we sort of um, diluting the pool that we have to pick from? And if we're saying that you're, um, that you're... We are. Yeah, if we're saying that, you know, your uh, input doesn't count because you don't match in these certain criteria, is that unrealistic? It reminds me of when the Red Cross um, made a post, the Red Cross in America, they said that they wouldn't be accepting um, blood donations from um, the queer community if you were gay or trans because there will just be too many complications with your blood. And it's like, um, it will there be? Or now we're we just saying because you're not perceived to be, I don't know, pure or moral in the way that somebody else would like you to now that your blood isn't good enough. We need blood. People need blood. <laughs> so we're saying now A you good, have to be yeah. straight. Are we saying you have to be, in most cases, white? Are we, have to say, are we that's, saying that you have to be from... And a, that's the thing. It's, it's yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And in, in this, I'm, we're saying, okay... If we break yeah. it down, you have to yeah. be Aryan. <laughs> Let's just say you must, if you're not Aryan. But in this case, we're saying yeah. she said the N word. I can guarantee if you are someone who is not African American, you said the N word. I don't trust anyone in my DMs to tell me they have not you have said the N word. I don't trust yeah. it. Not one <laughs> of you. And you can, and we all have selective memory. You None probably of su- you suppressed it. Now you None know it's bad. But if that is the benchmark we're using to see if somebody is worth supporting or not, we need to stop. It's not good enough. And it doesn't make me feel like you understand yeah, the plight quotes or what it is to be oppressed as a person of color or a black person. If she or they or he has said the N word is your benchmark of moral right or wrongness, you know, it's to, it's so entry level. This is also why and like, like the problem with the idea of objective morality gets in the way. As soon as you believe that good and bad are binaries, 
and not illusory constructs created by capitalism and religion to control you, you will never get anything done. Mm. Ever. Because there is nothing that is pure. Purity is the same illusory concept as perfection. Why do we still pursue perfection knowing that it doesn't exist why do we still have that standard as a measure knowing that it is unattainable exactly and it's easy to develop nuance in a vacuum and it's easy to critique you know any information you get hyper specifically Mm. but we have to like zoom in on a micro level and then zoom out to macro so on a micro level as an individual sure there are ways in which this person isn't the most morally upstanding person but on a macro level her individual efforts have done so much more than people in power, people with influence, and people with resources and assets. So I would much rather yeah. 1,000 more of her, little sus, you know, white girl who said the N-word, dressed up as an Inuit, to donate millions and millions and millions to helping displaced people than wait for the three upstanding moral people to pull out 100K from their pocket. <laughs> And say, look. Yeah, literally, it's not As happening. As we go on, the second point was she's dressed up as an Inuit. Now, the conversation about cultural appropriation is very contextual. It's very trendy. Yeah. And it's a reflection of a certain time. If you have not mm. been culturally insensitive, it probably means you were privileged enough to exist in a homogenous culture. Facts. You know what I mean? Facts. So... It, it doesn't mean you're virtuous. So Not at all. Let's say 2010, 11, 12, whatever. I would have been that girl who was wearing that kimono to the festival. You know what I mean? Telling my friends, go Facts. get your hair done, get your yeah. braids. Who cares, you know? So are we now saying any like objective or subjective good I've done has been removed because of the past? And if that case, let's bring out your receipts. Because we know we can scroll back to that That's Facebook. That's the thing with cancel we culture. Know. That's the thing. It has zero nuance. And it provides absolutely nothing for society. So then, Imagine. yeah, so that was the first point I wanted to make. And the, the, the discussion that we're having now is that as we develop our nuance on certain topics, it's important that we understand that we have to be able to analyze them directly, indirectly, objectively, and subjectively. So subjectively, I can say, you know, mm. I don't fuck with people who, you know, uh, culturally appropriate, who, send, who say the N-word, who um, use public disaster for their own gain. But I can say on an objective level, she's going to do far more good in this context than bad. And I'm okay with it. I can go to bed easy. I'll reshare yeah. her again. <laughs> if that's how it helps. You know what I mean? Now, no, it, it's it exactly is. that. And so on the next point, of the same naked philanthropist. Somebody said to me, I find this hard. I get, and this referring to her selling her body um, for charity. They said, I get this is for charity, but it's still just turning women's bodies into objects to be bought and sold. Turning us into a commodity is objectifying ourselves really any better for women than being objectified by others. And I want to start and say, like I could, I objectify and commodify. I objectify, sorry, and commodify myself daily. Every article of work that I do is about commodifying and objectifying. If you have skills, you commodify them. If you have, like beauty, like, the fact that that's still a construct we aspire to means that in some point you I must think here commodify. Is where people confuse the problem with the person. 
this is like misguided or misdirected misplaced anger the thing you should be critiquing is capitalism because that's the root of commodification this person any sex worker is just all they're doing is existing under capitalism they're not like everything that we do as women exists under the umbrella and underneath the gaze of the patriarchy you but if if we go by the standard of every time a woman commodifies herself she's a whore she's a whore she's a slut she's setting us back then you can't have that argument without talking about dismantling capitalism so this is like where the nuance like where is the nuance i just I simply cannot find it and yeah. i'm i th- i made a post on our um instagram page the other day which kind of encapsulates exactly how i feel about these like gray area subjects and it says it's not hypocritical to critique capitalism while participating in it we're literally critiquing it because we're forced to participate in it in order to survive so the fact of the matter is like (laughs) the privilege we have to even see the error in our ways by being vehicles of capitalism and in some cases vehicles of the patriarchy just to get by like we can see that and do that and still sleep at night because it must be done because the alternative is doing nothing because what is the alternative (laughs) there we go (laughs) well the alternative is death if you don't and that's the thing every time i critique capitalism people are like well don't you make money off of your instagram and it's like well what is my alternative fam because people are always like well why don't you go out and like live in a forest by yourself and i'm like well Mm -hmm. that's suicide so when i tell you that i want to die because capitalism is trash then you tell me i'm being dramatic but in the same breath you'll tell me to go live to go isolate myself from all of society as if that isn't suicide like why do people not have any nuance how can you how can you really open your big mouth to tell someone that they're not allowed to critique capitalism because they're forced to work underneath it like what do you mean and i think also in this instance of whether it be uh you know be wary of supporting this person for insert these you know uh, subjectively problematic things or you know i'm concerned about whether or not i can support this person for these reasons figure it out for yourself first because this back and forth filling the gaps of my understanding so i can move forward and feel virtuous is tiring and like I really do. I'm so lucky that we have, you know, this amazing community that we've like nourished that I can redirect people there because at one point I was like, Mm. I don't, I can't be the judge during executioner. Like I, like if it's fine for me to support somebody who is fine to commodify and objectify herself because she is a sex worker and that is the job description, then it's not my business. If you can't sleep. Also my thing is I want to ask that person, if you work at a nine to five, are you, how are you any better than a sex worker? If anything, you're worse. Like we're, we're all clowns in the circus for participating in capitalism. So how can one clown judge yeah. another? Adjust your red nose. Literally. <laughs> Go and polish your clown shoes and leave us alone. Especially me. Especially leave me alone. <laughs> I don't want any problems. And especially because, like, I feel, um, especially with this podcast, and I know, like, it's not every person who follows me on the internet is very aware of 
what we discuss in this podcast because we go at length for a lot of topics. But I think anyone will now know yeah. that I'm a very morally ambiguous bitch. And like there was a lot I will let slide. Same. I don't even believe in morals. <laughs> There's a lot I will let slide because I can understand that like we don't know. I don't. I especially don't have the privilege to just let some things go. I was having a conversation or an interview with someone yeah. who was saying, "Don't you worry about how you're, uh, how as a feminist you perpetuate the patriarchy by wearing makeup." I was like, "I'm well aware, baby. I'm well aware." Next, <laughs> <laughs> do people think we don't? That's when people critique me about wearing wigs. I'm like, and. What must happen? Like, what must happen? It's just... But this also goes back to what I was saying about, like, what does race distract us from? If we can't see that raising a billion dollars for a mass extinction is bigger than someone using the N-word on the internet... Are we not just being distracted at this? Like, to what extent does activism just distract us from the real picture? The line is individual. And we get into trouble by wanting to make sure my line is as long as short as your line. Keep your lines to yeah. yourself. Yeah. Like, if you can sleep with it, fine. And I think that's kind of the point that Boba was making earlier. Like, navigate all of these complex issues however you want to, but just be aware there are consequences for certain things. I know the consequence of supporting somebody like this negative, not even supporting, but of sharing uh, the negative philanthropist. I'm now aware of that consequence and I can live with that. You know, maybe you Mm. can't, maybe you can't deal with the back and forth and and the discourse necessary to justify why you would support someone who said the N word online. Maybe you cannot. And that's okay. Just don't do things that require you to justify yourself in that way. If you want to continue wearing your fake tan because you feel liberated and sexy and confident, just know that you will be questioned and you'll be critiqued. If you can live with it, go ahead. You know, it's not uh, a there problem. There we go. So, and I think in, in past episodes, like Bobo has used the phrase, like do whatever you want. And it's been misconstrued as in like, well, what do you mean? We were here to learn. This is the learning. Do what you want. Analyze the consequences of that action. <laughs> exactly. And then see if you can justify doing it again. Most of the times you cannot. Like, I don't say the N-word because I can't justify why I have rights to say it. And similar to me, like, like Bob and I are dissimilar in the way that, like, I have a very short fuse for discourse that's not progressing in a way that I want it to. And Bobo is happy, not happy, but Bobo has more patience to go back and forth and to like mediate and like, and I'm like, nah, nah, nah. I do. Look, if you don't get it, you don't get it. If I don't get it, if I misunderstood you, I don't get it and I don't want to do it. Yeah. So for these reasons, there are a lot of ways I choose to keep my mouth shut because I'm not prepared for the discourse that will follow. If you don't mind, mm. then go yeah. ahead. I, th- I think it's also important for people to understand that moral purity is a paradox. It's what we were saying in our, our episode about activism in that caring about everything actually does more harm than not caring about most things and only caring about one thing. When you spread your activism thin and you spread your moral cam- your moral compass thin, then you actually end up being very ineffective and very harmful. The fact that this, let's assume the naked philanthropist only cares about global warming and doesn't give a fuck about racism or black people honestly means that she can do more for the planet than someone who claims to care about the planet and race and gender and create like no pick your one thing and keep it pushing because the paradox of trying to care about everything is that you'll end up doing nothing for everything 
stay in your lane and keep it pushing. And scene. And see. I think that like that's a good <laughs> place to wrap so. up. Thank you guys for listening. I feel like we'll probably have another I want to get a Muslim perspective on mm. race and existing in this world as a black woman. Yeah. And if you're wondering why we haven't got another guest on aside from Makundwa, the fact of the matter is a lot of people just aren't capable of being interesting enough to listen to for an hour. And that's no shade, but like we've, re- we've tried to record yeah. guest episodes in the past where we're just like, and they, they don't make the cut. Make you the struggle cut. to answer the question. You struggle to be open. You're too concerned about being perceived as a bad guy or the audience hating you. So you talk in like hypotheticals instead of, you know, direct scenarios of what you would do. It's just difficult. Yeah. And so we would rather it just is. keep chatting to someone like Makundua, who is like, you know, the beacon of what it is to be a nuanced ass bitch, a nuanced ass reptile. Who says things <laughs> with her chest. Then try and like feed you just random people and of course if you want to hear other people yeah. talk about these things then ask them and like we don't have to be the platform for that also we get a lot of requests like oh we wish yeah. you talk more about insert specific topic here find somebody who is of that like subgroup demographic whatever yeah especially a lot of people them. ask us to talk about trans issues and i'm like yeah. why would we do it's not that like we don't want to <laughs> but like we're not like we're not adding anything to the conversation have you ever heard a podcast of two men speaking in detail about what they think women should do about specific situations? Like, here's what I would do. Here's how women should protect themselves against being raped. Just like, you know, make sure like you don't give off the wrong impression. It it's is the, the worst. worst. Like it's the absolute mm-mm. worst. So, yeah. Don't take it the wrong way. Just know we're protecting ourselves. I know. I also think like ears. talking for an hour seems like an easy thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes down to it, it's kind of a skill so it's not it's not for everyone and until we find people who are compelling then this is this is what it's gonna be so yeah in the meantime go listen to i said what i said go join our facebook group follow us on all the platforms we're on instagram we're on twitter we're on youtube and we'll catch you in the next episode bye 